It's Thursday morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. I'm uh, running solo on the mic today. Frank is doing real live work. And I've got a dude that I've uh, looked up to uh, for quite a while. He's done some amazing, amazing things for our country. He's still doing amazing things now with his uh, current business. And that's uh, Mike Glover with Fieldcraft Survival. What is up, dude? What's up, man? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, no problem. I thanks for coming on. I know your your schedule. Uh, you might be one of those guys. You have a schedule busier than mine, and that is saying something. So, did you just got back back home, didn't you? Didn't weren't you just traveling? Yeah, I just so I, I think I went from Hawaii, uh, training uh, a group of people straight in, and then back to uh, we went to Midland. I went to Midland, Texas, and trained Midland SWAT, and then just hit the ground back again. And it's it's, it's constant, but it's you know it's the the, the love of the grind. I mean, I, I love doing what I do, just like you. So it, it doesn't feel like work. It never feels like work to me. I'd have to say going to Midland might feel like work because uh, I hope they're not listening. Uh, Midland is not exactly like a destination place for me. Um, it, it's not the coolest place on the planet. There is really cool people there. Uh, I probably didn't do a lot of sightseeing when you were there, did you? No, you know, I actually told the guys, the SWAT team there, who were all squared away, I said, when I flew from Dallas, Fort Worth, because I was kind of hanging out doing some horse stuff north of Dallas, it was beautiful. It was like um, it was like going from America, and then as I was flying into Midland, looking out the window, I felt like I was going into Baghdad, Iraq. Like, yeah, I was like <laughs> yeah. dude, I was like, "What is this place?" And then uh, the guys told me they're like, "What hotel are you staying at?" And I and I told them, which is a Hampton Inn, which I thought was nice. And like, dude, be careful. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, man." I'm in a war zone. I got road raged at every day. People were flicking me off because the rental car gave me California plates on my on my minivan. <laughs> so it was fun, man. I, yeah, no no offense to Midland Midlanders in Texas, but it's not a place I'd be frequenting uh, outside of training SWAT. Yeah, I uh, I dated a a girl when I lived in San Antonio for I only lived there for like six months, but she called Hode, uh, Odessa Odessa in a. a <laughs> As I drove through, I'm like, oh, yeah, because I have to drive through. I usually land in Midland when I'm uh, guiding the Outdad Hunters down in the Davis Mountains. So I, we either we're driving from Amarillo to Van Horn or I land in Midland. And, uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of, lot of broke-down cars, a lot of, lot of trailers that are broke down. It's pretty wild and crazy. And then you drive two hours, and you're in this crazy mountain range. So it's kind of wild, anything in Texas, such a big state, a lot, uh, lot of different terrain, I guess. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Texas, man. I, I like Texas, but it's definitely it's robust, man. There's a whole bunch of different places you can get into, and and Midland's one of them. Yeah, yeah, that's a fact. So, well, um, I'm pretty sure any of our followers have a pretty good grasp of uh, uh who you are, but uh, we, well, man, rather than me fuck it up, do you want to kind of go over uh, <laughs> your long uh, illustrious history in the military, and then working uh. I guess you were with GRS as well, and uh, not, you know what you what you offer now with Fieldcraft Survival. Yeah, I can I can sum it up, man. I you know I'm a a career Army guy. I joined the infantry when I was 17. I did four years, and then uh, this is pre 9/11, and then 9/11 kicked off, and I went to Special Forces Selection and spent the rest of my career until about 2016 in Special Operations, like doing. I mean, I did a whole bunch of cool stuff. Uh, went to a whole bunch of cool training. Um, was a sniper, was a team sergeant, was a free fall jump master, uh, and then finished off my career as a sergeant major. And then uh, transitioned into the CIA and did GRS contracting for uh, about two and a half years, got five or six trips with GRS, and then uh, decided, 
you know, after a long, satisfying career that I kind of wanted to do something different and started my business called Fieldcraft Survival. Uh, Fieldcraft is just the, the idea is becoming the conduit for like bringing people closer to experts in the field. And, you know, people often look at me as an expert, but I'm not really an expert in any one specific thing. I mean, I got skill sets, but I like taking experts like in primitive survival, taking like a Kevin Estella or even taking a guy like you, Aaron Snyder, who's a subject matter expert at hunting and, and, and navigation and, you know, backcountry survival and put civilians who I don't think have a good understanding of like uh, the expertise and bringing that together and how that correlates with being better prepared. And so uh, that experience derived from special operations where we would bring in, you know, the best shooters in the world. We bring in the best um, experts, but we didn't, we didn't want to become the best shooters in the world as far as like competitive shooting. So we wanted to take certain skill sets that applied to us and then make ourselves better. Well, that's my idea with Philcraft is, you know, bringing experts to bear and allowing people to be better educated in how to be better prepared and then also offering equipment um, and training solutions. So we're we're training, we're educating and we're providing equipment as well. We got a headquarters in Heber City, Utah, a nice little uh, farm in town uh, in between Park City and Salt Lake City. And then uh, we do physical training, tactical training all over the U.S., um, in three to four different states every weekend. And we have a podcast, YouTube channel, all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, we're just trying to make better, better prepared citizens of this country. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, what, what, what you brought up there and, and I don't, this isn't disrespectful in any way, but the more I deal with, uh, people in your caliber, uh, of what you did or, or, um, uh, you know, Delta or, or SEAL teams, you guys are like, uh, you have to have so much shit slammed down your throat. You're like half-assed good at a ton of shit, but you don't have time to be really good at everything because there's just only you can only put five pounds of crap in a five-pound bucket, and you have to be so well versed at anything from lock picking to mountain climbing to to ride. I mean, there's a lot that one one soldier has to stay on top of. How overwhelming is that? Obviously, with with your background, I mean. That you know would be the equivalent. I say, I would guess of having a couple doctorates, except it's in survival and and uh, sustainment and, and things like that. So was it any time where you're like, Jesus Christ, I don't think I can fit anything else in my brain? Yeah, it, you're 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 spot on. I mean, a special operations guy has to be good at adapting, and that adaptation comes with having a whole bunch of skill sets that he kind of knows that he's that he's that he's at least understands the principles and but then can make things happen uh, in, in stress. So, I mean, I've been to race car school. I've been to every survival school. I mean, <laughs> I, like in the survival realm, I've been to every survival school that special operations has to offer. And that's like five or six schools. And then uh, I've been to CIA, SEER school, survival school. But if you ask me if I'm a survival expert, I'm not. I know, yeah, I know how to get out of flex cuffs. Um, I know how to pick a lock. I know how to do certain things. But those are mostly skill sets that um, you don't have the time to hone and, and, and become an expert at. But if you have an understanding of the basic principles, then if, you know, shit hits the fan, you at least can work yourself through those circumstances. So I, I like the idea of bringing Kevin Estellans on board who, who are experts at one specific thing. Um, and we're jack of all trades, man. Well, I, I don't think 
I think the best special operations guys are are well-rounded people that are not just particular experts in one field. I, I am envious of guys like you and guys like Kevin Estella because I always wondered how much I could excel in one specific thing, but I just never will be that guy because, I mean, I got ADHD in life because of my special operations career. I mean, and that's a good uh, point you bring up. Like, I people are like, hey, how come you don't shoot more tournaments or how come you – and I'm like, look – I do photography and bow hunting. I can't fit anything else in. Well, and I don't like to lose, right? So if I wanted to shoot a tournament or I want I, I would have to focus, take time off of what my, my passion is, which is, which is hunting, uh, you know, to, to shoot more tournaments or whatever. And I, I tell people that all the time, either you're going to be halfway decent at a lot of shit or you're going to be an expert at a couple things because you can't have, I, I, I can't have both and I don't know anybody that can where you take like, a lot of people have asked about Kevin Estella since, you know, we've started hanging out, you know, and, and working together a little bit. And they're like, where's Kevin fit in? And I'm like, well, I can't speak for Mike Glover, but I don't think he's going to be making a whisker, wicker basket catching squirrels. He doesn't have time for that shit. That's Estella's deal. And that is Kevin's kind of specialty is that more, I don't say doomsdayer, but that, that bushcraft, fieldcraft, you know, type of mentality survival, which you are capable of. But he really has, you know, fine-tuned in on and, and enjoys the hell out of it where, quite honestly, I don't want to build figure four deadfalls and build wicker baskets. And that's not me. People have asked me to teach classes like that. And I'm like, I can half-ass show you, but there's a lot better people out there. And you're very good at, it's, you know, obviously focusing on that. So Yeah, I think the, it, it comes from a – it's kind of a special forces detachment model, right? I mean, the, the cool thing about – uh, special Forces ODA and Operational Detachment is they have a couple dudes who specialize in specific fields of expertise. You have the weapons guys, the engineers that blow shit up, the, the 18 Deltas that save people's lives, and the Echoes that do combo. And then you have a leadership component. So you have the ability to narrowly focus and become experts, but then you have the cross-pollination of cross-training each other so you at least understand Hey, how can I turn on radio and make sure that I can get a comms check? But if I need to fill the radio with, you know, crypto with, uh, uh, you know, classified crypto, then my 18 echo is going to handle that for me. So uh, that, that kind of structure, that task organization is kind of how I look at Fieldcraft as well. Well, if you come to us, you're going to have the ability to source and find a well-rounded person who has a specialty. Um, and then and then source that person for their expertise, but also make your, you know, jack of all trades, your kit bag a little bit more robust, because like you said, it's a time allocation thing man. people, they grind and they work and then they're looking at preparedness and like, man, how can I fit this into my life? Well, we're trying to make it as convenient as possible for people, which is in this day and age is, um, you know, a godsend, really, because when people. Obviously, we kind of cross-pollinate on certain things, surviving in the backcountry and, and what you guys do, whatever. Um, people ask me, like, the one source to go to. You know, there's sources where you can go learn certain things, but to have that all-encompassing, especially the mobility portion, a lot of people overlook that. And, and by no means is my vehicle decked out to, you know, Mad Max and the Thunderdome. It, but I've got the shit in there I need. A lot of people overlook that, and when there's a first, like, you hit, let's just say you run out of fuel in the middle of, Pick up Texas, right? And you've got uh, 80 miles to go in either direction. 
And next thing you know, all they have is, you know, a cell phone charger and a smile. They don't have anything to keep them warm, no comms, no any. You really focus um, on, on, on the mobility portion as well at Fieldcraft. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah, I, I, I really think mobility, you know, mobility for us in the military was a, a platform for infiltration, exfiltration, but also like a security platform because you would have to be able to live and fight off these vehicles for extended periods of time. I mean, I've done I've done long range uh, patrols where we were out for weeks living out of a Land Rover that was, you know, the the, the roof was chopped off of it. And we had machine guns, um, you know, ammo, water, food, um, everything sustainable. Well, a lot of your life is spent in and around vehicles. I think the average is over three hours that people spend in their vehicles on a daily basis. And that's a lot of time. So. If you want to get out of trouble, uh, hell, if you want to get in trouble, your vehicle is going to be a platform to be able to do that. It's also a resupply platform for logistics. It's a uh, security platform to get your family out of harm's way. So if you take all the things that we educate, it could be rolled up into an overlanding, uh, off-roading experience. So what we tell people, just like with hunting, if you if you look at hunting and and you just focus on, on getting out there and, and getting your kill, getting your meat, harvesting that, that handles self-reliance, that handles resilience because you build it in the field, that handles your some of your equipment uh, requirements, that handles first aid because you're thinking about first aid and pre- uh, preparation. So the vehicle is that. So I want to be uh, better prepared because I want to be able to maintain. I want to be able to recover. I want to be able to have survival and first aid. And, you know, if you if you wrap your head around that, it's the perfect platform for everything that we do. And it's also fun, man. If people if people look at their rigs and go, oh, I'm just going to build it out for recreation by by benefit, you are actually building out for your capability for a bug out or worst case scenario. I mean, it's, it's the perfect blend. No, it is. And um, you do podcasts uh, as well. But some of the podcasts we do may have an initial, uh, they may start off on one subject and then they, they deviate quickly. And one of the podcasts I was on recently, we started talking about, not necessarily this is mobility, but five point contingency plans, what you should have on you at all times, whether it's your vehicle or your ruck, things that unless you've served, you may overlook or not even think about. And, and, uh, uh, we didn't call it a gotwa back then, but like a five-point contingency plan, anytime you split apart, you know, one group splits apart into two. You know, the different things that each, when you when you split apart, you should have on you. A lot of people look at that at times as just a hunting scenario, but how often have you been, you know, those things happen every day, I guess is what I'm getting at. And, and one of the reasons I push so many people to you guys is, is you're not prepping to, to take over the world. You're not... It, you are just helping people lead a better and safer life um, is, is how I'm looking at it and, and what I see from the outside looking in, meaning you're not having, you know, you're, you're not prepping people for World War III. You're just making sure they can protect themselves and their family with their vehicle as well as the knowledge you're giving them, uh, you know, just on a day-to-day basis. Uh, am I perceiving that correctly? Yeah, yeah. You're spot on because look, we like all of these things, like people think are difficult. They think they're, they're scary. And our whole intent is to make it like, 
what I think you can't do, I think you can't do this as a hobby. I don't think you could part-time it. So if we could buy people into the idea that, hey, preparedness is fun. It could be part of your lifestyle, part of your kind of your culture that you live. And, and then you implement those things into recreational activity, then it becomes fun for people. And, and then more people are included in the conversation because I, I honestly don't think if you were to say, hey, this dude's a prepper or he's a survivalist. Hell, I even heard Joe, Joe Rogan on a, on a podcast talked about one of the mobility things that I did where I went from Phoenix to Canada on one take of gas because I, I wanted to show that, hey, if you're bugging out, you could do it in one rig. And it, it has to be a full-size truck. It has to have an extended fuel tank. And I lived out of it, and I, I, I did it in one take of gas. And, and he called me an extreme survivalist, like one of those prepper guys. Which you are like, not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm super not, right? I'm, I'm like super, like I, I, I don't even like the stereotype, but th- those stereotypes put us in a, in a, uh, a category, in a, in a box that's convenient for people who don't want to hear the conversation. And I, I think the more that we can make it, hey, let's talk about it. Let's show people that it's not scary. Then the more likely they are to go, oh, well, shit, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a soccer mom that lives in the suburbs. Maybe I should be paying attention to this as well. And I probably did a shitty job at explaining that, but that's kind of what I was trying to say is, uh, or not kind of, that's exactly what I was trying to say is these aren't things where, uh, you know, you're burying, which nothing wrong. You want to bury, you know, three years worth of food in your front yard, by all means do it. But what you're talking about is the day-to-day activities. And a, a good example, and you'll get a kick out of this, and, you know, my wife is forced to live with me, right? So she's constantly dealing with this shit and how... I'm not overly anal, but I'm definitely the guy that shows up 15 minutes early for everything. I'm the guy that I can't go anywhere. I, I really, I want my fuel tanks always full. I'm just that guy. Um, some, you know, there's two kinds of people when it comes to fuel tank, the dude that says I got 14 miles till empty and they're totally fine. And me, I hit three eighths of a tank and I'm like, I, I better fill up. I got a gas tank right here, a gas station. <laughs> well, my wife's the 14 mile till empty lady. I, I love her to death. Well, she's a real estate agent. Uh, she's looking, you know, she's driving out to houses and I get a, now keep in mind, she has all of this stuff. She has a, a Garmin inReach, right? I have her set up for all this. She, I get a phone call from 911 that says the vehicle isn't damaged and your wife's okay. And that is all it says. And I'm oh. like, what the f- fuck is going on so what it was she was looking at a house she about drove off a cliff she bunny hopped a truck it's stuck on a boulder she can't get out and the only phone call she could make was to 911 well all right that was a very good learning lesson for for her uh of not only what she should have had in the vehicle but what she should have done like the five point contingency plan sort of the same thing where honey what you should have, you know, and I wasn't mad. I'm just like, I'm glad you're safe. You should have said, it is this time when I made the phone call. This is my current location. This is their tow truck is on the way. Uh, so I knew where she was. She was okay. You know, the, the timeline and everything. That is something that most people, and my wife lives with me every day, that you teach. And that is a day-to-day activity. She was just going to look at a house potentially to sell that didn't have comms where she was at. Let's say worst case scenario, she couldn't get a hold of anyone. Um, you know, the truck is stuck. It was snowing at the time. Now she has a 13 mile hike out in her 
you know, attire to show off the house, which is not made for walking through snow. All right, honey, what was in your vehicle? So then she had to go through the, you know, the top to bottom, like, hey, let's get your vehicle ready for what you didn't have. That is day-to-day shit that you are preparing people for. Uh, And that's why I'm such a, a big fan and believer and send people to you is you're getting people ready for that. When people look at training, they think technical training. They think like, hey, how do you apply a tourniquet? How do you shoot a gun? But like you said, a lot of the processes that we learn in the military were how to think through contingencies. Like, hey, when this goes wrong and we have to think and adapt to a different idea, what's the process? And then and then how do I think through that? Um, I, I think that's so underrated and, and really undervalued because it's not as cool. It doesn't hashtag well. You can't take a picture of it. So <laughs> when, when, when I when like, like the five point contingency plan. I mean, that is our SOP for departing away from any any size element. So it's it's me leaving you. I'm going to leave you a five point and then we're going to have a, a brief conversation. Most people, because they fall into routine, which is convenience because the luxury of our freedoms, they, they start getting complacent and they don't think about those things until it's too late. And then they ask themselves the questions in hindsight, like, why didn't we have that conversation? Like, why did, why did we never think about locking the front door and the criminal just kicked in the front door? He didn't have to because he just opened the door and we didn't have a security plan. You know, why didn't I think about looking at my spare tire and realizing the spare tire I had on my rig for the last 10 years was flat and now I don't have an option. So uh, what I tell people is, you know, hopefully you don't end up in a bad situation where you're injured or potentially killed um, because you'll never know your mistake. But if you proactively like look at life that way, uh, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Just have a conversation. It could start with a conversation and that could mitigate and reduce uh, a lot of stress and a lot of tragedy before it even happens. I mean, it's, it's just, it's real simple stuff. It just, it just needs to have a conversation because most people don't even know the start point, especially people who've never served in an, in an institution, uh, including the military that has a process for it. No, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, like, uh, traveling, let's say to the Northwest territories when I was up there, there, there's no, you know, there's no hardware stores, there's no power. There's, I mean, you've got what you bring. And so obviously, you know, that's a big, um, uh, logistical nightmare because, uh, there, <laughs> you don't have anything. You got to bring everything you need, uh, on the way up there, you know, with you, meaning you get a flat tire, there's nobody coming to help you, right? You, you know, you, you there's no services to come pick you up. And obviously that's a little bit more extreme, but as, as we're talking about this, when you, uh, let's say you learn to use a tourniquet, right? You, you, you go to, you learn CPR and then you don't have any of the shit in your vehicle to actually perform all these things you learned. That's another thing where uh, I see people not following through from A to Z or they have a tourniquet and they have no idea to use it. They have this kick-ass med kit that they threw in the back of their truck and half of the shit inside of it, they have no concept or no clue on how to, how to use it. You guys go A to Z, right? Everything from what needs to go in, how to use it, everything else. And again, these are day-to-day activities. It doesn't have to be this extreme, an EMP you know, went off over the United States. Shit like this happens constantly. Unfortunately, most people do not take it seriously until this catastrophic life-changing event happens. And then they take it serious. And I always say things like, you know, it's, yeah, it works until it doesn't, or yeah, you're fine with your cell phone to get you out of a disaster until 
your, your cell phone battery's dead or you lose your cell phone or you're stuck in a place where there's absolutely no service. And again, these are day-to-day things. And, uh, you know, obviously not at the level of where you're at, but I've been to a lot of shithole third world countries where people kill for what we throw away every day. And as Americans, we get very complacent uh, about everything. Yeah, I, I, uh, I like to look at like statistical probabilities when we teach people because I hate, I hate kind of amplifying things um, like even in active shooting, right? Active shootings are super rare comparatively to a crime that's conducted with um, firearms like pistols, which, by the way, overwhelmingly uh, outrun and outpace AR-15s. I think shotguns have a higher statistic than AR-15s uh, when, when, when used in homicides and murders. So if people just pay attention to statistical probabilities, I mean, 30 to 40,000 people a year die from vehicle accidents. Two million people a year are are uh, injured in accidents, and one million of those two million people actually sustain injuries that they live with in some form or fashion the rest of their lives. So I always think like, hey, you know, let's not let's let's not uberly focus on the self defense one second draw out of your waistband. Let's look at probabilities. Well, if you don't have a tourniquet, for example, inside of your 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 car um, for you, your family and all those people that you love, then you're wrong. Because, you know, I've, I've actually had a buddy of mine die in my arms who, who was in a motorcycle accident um, and was my team. He was a special forces team sergeant, but he was my team sergeant at the time. That, that, that he died because, um, I mean, he, it was a tragic circumstance, but more likely because he didn't get the, the medical care that he needed immediately. And so if you depend on just the institution, which is the government, your local law enforcement even, for being your first response, again, you have the wrong understanding because, you know, you are your own first response in this, in, in most circumstances, because you have to manage and deal with the trauma that happens. And often that trauma can take your life. So if you're not prepared to defend yourself, if you're not prepared to, to treat trauma and first aid, uh, especially if you're a hunter and you're going back country and backwoods, then, then you're setting yourself up for, uh, for failure. And you always hear those epic stories of survival. Well, I always look at this, those stories and go, well, damn, I can give you a five-step plan where if that person would have did these five things that's real easy to do, they, there would be no epic story of survival. He would have no book deal. Yeah. Uh, maybe <laughs> catastrophic for his career. But I just think it's, it's very easy to mitigate that kind of stuff. Now, you're 100% correct. And, and uh, we talk about that frequently where, um, you know, I get stuck out overnight sometimes and things like that. But now with social media, obviously people play that up far more crazy than it is. And it's like, guys, you can go two days without water and two or three weeks without food being stuck overnight. If you're smart and you have a few different things on you is a relatively simple inconvenience. This is like backpack hunting, um, or, you know, or hunting in general, it's the, the, the decisions people make as the situation spirals that is where what gets them into the most trouble or what they don't have with them or what they don't know as well as the decisions they make. And so, you know, I have some really cool stories of some great trips, but I'm lucky enough to where, you know, I've done enough dumb shit that I've learned enough that nothing ever becomes a crisis. You know, meaning I always have something on me to build a fire. You know, there's certain things that I, I really stress for people. You need water. You want to try to have comms with you at all time. You need to be able to build a fire, things like that. 
it's the people that don't have those things and don't know what to do or, 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 or make the re- really bad decisions that put them in a, a bad spot really, really fast. Cause if you're down to having to, you're, if, if you're trapping squirrels for survival, you, you have fucked up, right? You, that you are far beyond where you should be. It should be a slight inconvenience at most. If you get a little bit lost or, or bringing in land nav into the equation, common sense and just basically learning how to function on a day-to-day basis with the stuff you guys teach goes a long way and it's it's overlooked now quite a bit yeah we, we always joke and say if you're if you're naked and afraid rubbing sticks together in the wood line you you have messed up um royally i mean you you've made a lot of mistakes and it, it's basic stuff man it's pre-planning um it's it's putting together a plan it's doing the loadout it's doing a layout paying attention to details, asking questions. It's basic stuff. Well, before we dive down the, the rabbit hole of, of this anymore, man, with, with your career in, in the military, so just happenstance, uh, I thought you were one of the guards at the uh, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. My wife flicked on, a, uh, I think it was a Nat Geo type of uh, documentary, and then I watched it, and I'm like, holy cow, that is way worse than I thought it was. I say, And I told her, I said, I think Mike Glover was uh, – you know, one of those guards, was that one of the first things you did in the military? Yeah, it was. So I, I, you know, the old guard, which is the third infantry regiment is the oldest infantry regiment in the, in the U S army. And, um, when I went to basic training in the infantry, I, I had an airborne ranger contract, which is a, it's called a option 40 contract. And unbeknownst to me going in as a 11 X-ray, which means they choose your MOS they made me an 11 hotel, which means I was an infantry guy that gets to drive around in Humvees and, and, and run the heavy guns, like the 50 cal, the Martin 19. And so when I went through training at the very end, they're like, Hey Mike, uh, you're not going to Ranger regiment. Um, you're going to 25th ID in like Fort Lewis, Washington. And I, I, I said, Hey man, I got a contract. Um, and they said, well, you should have told us in the beginning because they just partitioned us and divided our company into different platoons. And they didn't even pay attention to the contracts, which is like the Army. I mean, they don't pay attention to a lot of things. So they, uh, long story short, the only way I can get out of it was I had to go to the old guard, which I didn't know what it was at the time, and and do a few years, which, which would mean they would change my MOS. So they literally crossed out my MOS, 11 Hotel, and made me 11 Bravo, and then sent me to the 3rd Infantry Regiment. So when I was there, um, I, I was bummed out because I wanted to be jumping out of airplanes and, and doing raids and ambushes. And I found out it was a ceremonial platoon. So I, I immediately I immediately went to a scout platoon because I didn't want to do any of that stuff. And then realized I was going to be there for longer than I wanted. So, you know, I went to airborne school. I went to ranger school. I got my expert infantry badge. And then uh, I tried out for the Tomb of the Unknowns when I turned 18 and was successful and then went through a whole deal where I, I was a guard. I was a candidate for nine months, got my badge. I was a guard there for a year and some change. And then I was a tomb guard trainer. I used to train tomb guards at the very end of my my little stint there. Um, I recruited them and then trained them and then uh, put them on their release. And, and it was a pretty cool rotation that I had. So was it as bad as what it looked like on TV? Because that looked like uh, a very you know, level one through 10, as far as discipline, that was like a 12. Um, is it that bad? Dude, it was bad, man. I, I, 
it was the, it was harder to me to me than special forces training. Um, look, I, I'd rather be in the wood line with an eighty pound ruck, at, you know, doing a forty miler than than doing that walk and that that uh, amount of of hardship. But what what I realized uh, in a lot of ways, it was my first understanding of like what sacrifice truly meant. I mean. A lot of people think they're sacrificing because they're signing up for the military. I, I think I think that just should be an obligation. I mean, if you're American, you should be serving in some capacity. But uh, when I went there and I was guarding the Tomb of the Unknowns, you know, unknown soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines that served in war, and not only did they get killed, but they lost their identity. Uh, that's a pretty big deal. And so, I, I, you know, one thing that we teach guards at the tomb, and I learned is you don't just get to go out there and guard the tomb. You have to earn it. And that means you have to know the knowledge, which is uh, 27 pages of knowledge verbatim. You have to be able to recite. Your uniform has to be perfect. You have to know history. You have to be disciplined. And then if you're given the chance, then you can go up and guard. So it's an honor to do that. And I learned that sacrifice uh, the hard way um, and just grinding, you know, seven to nine months it takes the typical soldier to, earned the tomb identification badge and it took me nine months. I mean, it was, it was super hard. Um, and, and, and when I became a guard, it wasn't like I got a badge and it became easier standing out in a hundred degree weather, uh, for 30 minutes in the summer, one hour during the winter and in a wool uniform guarding the tomb, standing still like a statue. That's not, not easy, but it was, it was, a it was definitely a huge experience for me. Yeah. I, I can only imagine you retired what, 10 years ago? Is that right? How long ago did you retire? Uh, 16, okay. 2016. Yeah. Okay. And then you pretty much kicked off, um, Fieldcraft right, right after that, or just before that, didn't you? Yeah. Right before I, 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 uh, topped out, I, I literally just started putting things together. Um, I actually was in Pakistan at the time on a GRS trip and, and kicked it off. So it, we actually started the company. I started the Fieldcraft in 2015 and then when when I hit the ground in 16, that was our first fiscal year, and we started grinding from then. Did you think it would grow like it has? You know, I, I had this vision that it would. And and to be honest, like like many businesses, I lost confidence a lot along the way because I had a whole bunch of naysayers. I mean, shit, man, two years ago, people were like, Dude, you're too diversified. You're, you're in too many places. You don't have a focus. It doesn't seem like this is going to work. And, and now, I mean, now we're a massive company that's doing really well, uh, whether that's a, a result of uh, something I'm doing or a result of the and or the circumstances that are going on in the world. Um, I kind of knew it, it could be a thing and I didn't give up on that mission and uh, I adapted when necessary. So I, I'm just happy to be here, man. Uh, yeah, I, I bet. How big is uh, how big has your crew gotten from uh, when I say that, meaning you employ quite a few, you know, people now. Where are you at now? Where you think you're going to go? I mean, is is it going in the direction you're hoping? And are are you going to uh, shift fire in any way? Yeah, you know, a lot of people, just for the business perspective, but also kind of understanding what we are, um, we do a lot of training. You know, I have 20 subcontracted employees under my uh, CEO training, Raul Martinez. Uh, we do tactical training all over the United States. Um, that is separate from what we're doing at headquarters. I mean, at headquarters, I'm like, I got a seminar this weekend with Andy Stump, uh, former SEAL Team 6 guy. Uh, you know, the following weekend, we'll have uh, Keita, who's a, 
a professional shooter that teaches how to move and shoot. So we, I have 40, 40 plus employees. You know, we have a, a pro shop in Heber City. We have a training facility here. Uh, we have a t-shirt manufacturing process, laser engravers. Hell, I'm, I'm, I'm building land cruisers right now, uh, for Sean Whalen and, um, uh, uh, Jack Carr. So we're, we're super diversified, have a lot going on, but the products is where we scale in the business. You know, we, we develop products that we sell wholesale. Like I sell a, a tourniquet holder, to uh, 511, uh, tactical. Uh, we're hoping to get into the Bass, Bass Pro Sports and Warehouse. Um, but we're, we're just trying to get the best preparedness related equipment in distribution and retail so more people could have access. And, and that's the goal for us. So it's, they're super large goals, but we're just headed in that direction, man. Gotcha. Actually, uh, off the subject, uh, one of my best friends I, I found out a couple of days ago went to basic training with Kevin Owen. Um, oh, I, God. I, yeah. <laughs> it was, he, uh, he was like, Hey, what did he say? He goes, his accent got a little bit better, but uh, I couldn't understand a damn thing he said in basic training. So, um, yeah, I was interesting. This, my, my buddy, he, I started a, a, a backpack hunting website with him and, uh, he, he's kind of a long range shooter now. And, uh, he just brought it up to me. He goes, he, he said, uh, I, I just offhand, I went to basic training with Kevin Owen. I was like, holy shit. Well, you guys went different directions. Obviously he stayed in, uh, I think he was in for six years and obviously Kevin went to with, went the distance, but how big of a, how big of an asset has, has guys like Kevin Owens and Kevin Estella been as long as some of your other crew, it seems like you guys are an extremely tight knit unit, um, you know, and running very well. Was that like a, uh, Oh, Oh, thank God type of a, of a hire with Kevin. Yeah. It, it, both Kevin's and, and a lot of the guys and gals that we have, you know, look, we, you have to be a special person to be able to work for me and, and, uh, and Phil Craft Survival. I don't, I don't think, I don't think any single day we've repeated that same day in routine because we have, I mean, we have so much going on. A lot of people, like a lot of people have, who have come and went, uh, those, those people cannot adapt. They're, they're uncomfortable outside of structure. And I've lived an entire world in chaos. Where, you know, like adapting was the one thing that you, you were great at and having structure was just something that you didn't, you didn't operate well in. So the guys and gals who have survived, who have been long haul, they're the, they're the most adaptable. You take a guy like Kevin Owens. I mean, he's the master of adaptation. I mean, he taught me. Well, I mean, we were snipers together on the same detachment. I mean, we've, we've killed bad guys together on the same rooftops side by side. So, I mean, he, he is, he's, he was a mentor of mine, still is a mentor of mine, but having those kind of guys that could have went to industry, he could have worked for anybody in the gun, gun industry and made uh, well over six figures, but he decided to come work for me because he believed in the mission and the, the ability to adapt and be creative and innovative. And a lot of companies don't operate that well. So when you get a Kevin Owens or a Kevin Estella, um, they, they thrive in that world. And, and that's the kind of guys and gals I need. I mean, there are some jobs that, hey, I just need you to make shirts. You know, I need you to make leather. But there are uh, positions where I need people to be creative and innovative. And, and the Kevin Owens of the world, man, they're hard to find. And when you find them, you hold on to them. No, I, be, I bet. I, uh, it, it's funny as you say that. I'm glad I'm not the only one. My, my wife is definitely a planner. 
I, I am a, a, a wing it guy. When I say that, I have a plan, but there's a lot of things that I just can't. There's so much crap going on and so many variables, and I, I'm more of a, hey, let's just take it as it comes uh, type of a, of a person. Some people just cannot, uh, they can't deal with that. And I'm not saying I don't have structure, but I, there's a big difference between having some structure but being able to adapt rather than planning every minute of your day out. I am not a planet of every minute of my day out type of a, of a guy. And that does drive some people, you know, crazy. And, and I just, I've always been that way and, and it's working for me. I'm, I'm not, definitely not going to change, nor do I think I'd be capable, but it does make my assistant's life a living hell because she'll plan certain things. And I'm like, I'll try, you know, I'm like, but there could be 40 things that pop up between now and then. And I have no idea what they are. And that's just, just life. Yeah. I, what I've, what I've found is, Guys like you who have a like Ke- you and Kevin Owens are perfect examples because you're both experts in your field. I mean, you know, Kevin Owens is one of the best snipers in the in, in the world in the, in the universe. And when you have a guy who's a subject matter expert and they understand their subject matter so well, they don't need to script. They don't need to rehearse. They 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 can navigate the world uh, with that understanding. And what I've realized is. You know, the, 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 I don't know if it's the least experienced, but a lot of people who aren't experienced aren't co- comfortable in operating in that kind of, of flexibility. You know, they, they have to have left and right limits, very structured organization. What I've, I'm a poor, I mean, Kevin Owens is a better manager of people than me. He, he's just always been that way. I'm a kind of, I'm a nice guy. I'm the guy who's like the nice dude. And I always spark conversations and try to be the nice guy. But you don't need a nice guy running a fucking business. You need a, you need a guy who's a who's a uh, a structured person who who could work with organized people to get shit done. And that's a Kevin Owens. So what I've done recently is stepped away from the company, and I'm, I'm letting Kevin run all the day to day ops, and I'm focused on doing things like this, like podcast, uh, getting the word out, having you know high level meets with with industry. That's that's where I belong, and I and, and I kind of know where I belong. Yeah, uh, not to be the uh, the mimic, but that's what Frank does for me. Um, Frank is a much better adult than I am. Uh, he's much <laughs> better at paperwork, and I'm good at big picture stuff. But you know, my my thing is my thing, and I I think people need to focus on what that is and not try to be someone they're not. Because I've had people ask me like, "Hey, what's it like running the company?" I'm like, uh, "Not." <laughs> really that bad uh, i'm like i have really good people under me they run the company i just uh, occasionally answer questions and maybe <laughs> help them out from time to time it's just not not my thing i mean frank's way better at that than i am and he he excels at it so that's the direction he's you know going but frank also is not going to want to go do a seminar in front of 500 people he can but uh you know not not his wheelhouse as much and when you talk about like with with kevin owen my my wife made jokes. We went and bought a notebook. I did a, a seminar for the Bow Hunters of Wyoming. I bought a notebook to put in front of me so it looked like I took notes. I didn't have <laughs> shit written down in that thing. I just wanted to make it look like I did. I even flipped the paper a couple times while I was talking so it made it look like I put effort into it. But I talk about it so much that I, I don't have to take notes because I've lived it every day. And I definitely, from talking with Kevin Owen, uh, Owens, he... I, <laughs> you get him going and it's like, okay, I need to be taking notes now because uh, one, I can't understand half the shit he's saying. And two, he's so full of knowledge that you, you, you almost need to turn on a tape recorder when it comes to his wheelhouse. He's, he's a very gifted person. Yeah. The, I mean, the, 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 
what Kevin Owens, like we are developing is just experience, man. I mean, uh, there's so many people who claim to be experts because they have a platform. They say, hey, you know, they got a they have a, a social media handle and they're they're able to hashtag. So they think they're they're cowboys. They think they're hunters. They think they're 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 tacticians. But then w- when you scratch the surface and you just peel back the surface of the onion, you realize, dude, there's nothing there. I mean, and so I, I like that. I can't script shit, man. I can't if I'm doing a speaking engagement. The first time I did a speaking engagement, a high level one was with Oracle. And these dudes paid me $25,000 to do a two hour speaking engagement right after the CEO of, uh, of uh, Mark Hurd, who was the CEO at the time of, of the company. And you're talking about a, you know, you're talking about a billion dollar company, man, a massive company. And, and they're like, uh, Hey, where are your notes? Can we review your notes? I'm like, I don't have notes. And they're like, wait a minute, what's your, where's your outline? I'm like, I don't have an outline. Like you're just going to wing it. I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, I have a general idea, but I, I don't, I, I, the best engagements for me are the ones that I, I don't marry to a script. And so I don't go like when people ask me like, Hey Mike, what's the, what are we going to talk about in the podcast? I'm like, I don't know, bro. Like whatever we want to talk about, because the people, when you start scripting shit, you lose all the organic feel you lose all the uh, ability to create and innovate and have like a genuine conversation. And people, because they're more uh, versed to it, people could see right through that shit. I mean, people can go, oh, well, I mean, dude, they're reading off of a teleprompter or a paper uh, versus a, a natural conversation that's like, oh, these are two human beings that are experienced talking about their experiences. And I, I like that idea. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And, and and whether I'm doing, obviously we wing every podcast we have, but ones I've been on, they're like, hey, we're going to send you an itinerary. I'm like, I don't want to read it. Like what? Exactly. And I'm like, I will I will be thinking about it. It'll, I, it'll sound staged. I want to be me, and I'm just going to fire back whatever comes to mind. I don't want to know what you're going to ask ahead of time and, and they almost are insulted. And I'm like, I'm sorry you spent time typing that shit up and I'm not going to read it. I, I, I just ask me what you got. And the most organic, realistic question is what it's going to be off the hip. You know, if you're asking me to, you know, run the RE factor of, you know, whatever TNT dynamite and C4. Yeah. I might need to look that shit up. I may have forgot, but just general questions. Those aren't things I need to prep for. I'm just answering, you know, back with, whatever the question may be. And when it's, when it's scripted, it does sound fake. And I can definitely tell listening to podcasts when something's totally, somebody has been teed up to, to answer it or whatever. Yeah. I, I never, I, I don't, I don't like to be beholden to doctrine and I don't like, even when I teach a, a class, people will tell you like they can go to my class, like they can go to my gunfighter pistol or my everyday carry course. And every single time it will be different. Because I have fundamentals that I teach, and I'll never deviate from those core fundamentals. But I am learning constantly from experiences and training in life and podcast from guys like you, Kevin Estella, and Owens. And so, if I go like what what I've been um, privy to is doctrine and institutions, and and it often fails us. So like you you grow up in an academy, you grow up in the military. You could see the 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 fringe side of how institution doesn't allow you to adapt because you're doctrinal. And so my, my whole life is is lived and bred in, 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 in an environment where I could be innovative. You know, it's it's unconventional warfare, man. And, and I don't like having uh, like you said, the questions 
if if I read those questions and imprinted them in my mind, then when I went to answer the question, the only thing I'd be, be thinking about is how I'm going to answer that instead of just opening my mind and being like, yeah, let, let me let me see how I feel today. And and that's how we should be, man. I, I think that's the best way to be. Yeah. One one thing I wanted to bring up, I saw the other day, uh, the thumbs forward expert uh, that I, I thought it was comical because, um, and I get the same thing on the hunting side, uh, but uh, I think the guy basically called you a fake and nobody should listen to you. Yeah. Um, how often do you get that shit? It, dude, it's super rare. Like I don't, I don't really have a, like a lot of people deal with a toxic following or controversy or this, all this stuff. I rarely get it. And, and when it is like this guy on, he posted a video on TikTok, and in the video, he says, I'm running my thumb on my support hand along the slide of the gun, which I mean, in the history of me shooting a pistol my entire life, I don't even think I can intentionally do that. Like, I just can't, I would never fathom to do that. And so, um, he tried to say that he wasn't doing that, but it, when I went through all his TikTok comments because he's trying to build his base, right? He's got a survival company. He's trying to he's trying to amplify himself, which I get. I mean, do your thing, man. But he, he was basically called, like you said, calling me a fake. He was saying, "Hey, look at this expert who says he's an expert," which I, I never actually say I'm an expert because I don't think I am. Uh, there's a lot of people like Kevin Owens who are ten times better than me, but. When I explain stuff, I want things to be very clear. So when this dude came out and he had misinformation, I, I have to respond to things like that because what he's doing is he's educating people the wrong way. And regardless if it's me or somebody I know or somebody I don't know, I like the right information, especially when it comes to like life-saving technical skill sets. It, it needs to be presented right. So if somebody's putting out bad stuff, I want to talk about it and say, hey, like, Here's the solution and here's why. You know, he took it, he took it on the chin. I mean, he he apologized. He did all the things that you would expect from somebody who's being professional. I I, I never wanted to hurt his business. In fact, I, I actually wanted people to follow him because if he's got something good to say, you know, outside of his conversation about me holding the gun, there might be something to learn there. And 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 that's how I like to approach this kind of shit because, dude, here's what I've realized about people, and you know this. Because you because you're running a company, people are inherently flawed. It it is not it is not a, a unique aspect to human behavior that we are flawed. Like when people are like, oh, that dude's suffering from trauma, or yeah, that guy he's going through issues. Well, welcome to the world that is human beings. That that's what we do all the time. And and so the people who are saying they are perfect and they don't experience those things, they're the they're the fucking liars because we all experience them. And so I, I, I kind of look at those things as humble things and I go, man, I don't know, maybe the dude's having a bad day. Fuck it. You know, I, I just don't want to be married to this idea of destroying people on social media. Even even the dudes who are calling me white supremacists. Uh, I mean, I got called a white supremacist, which um, is crazy because you're Asian. I, I couldn't yeah. wrap my head around that one either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm half, I'm half white. I'm Asian from the waist down. Like they don't even know me. <laughs> they're not me all wrong. And, but it's, it's like, those dudes don't know what the hell they're talking about, man. They probably have marital issues. They, you know, they got a small dick. There's something, there's something weird going on. Now you're, you're right. And, and again, it's, it's the same way, you know, everything from photography to hunting to what you, anything I'm involved in, there's always that guy, you know, you're dealing with to where now it's, 
10 years ago it bothered me now it's like people watching in boulder you know it's just like oh this is going to be entertaining uh huh i wonder what else he's going to say because you don't how i look at it is 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 one a lot of times they, they just want to be heard to boost their page or what whatever right it, it you know maybe it'll help them by bashing someone who's known or and you know on on my end i'm like oh man you you're looking, uh, that's going to be a tough road to hoe because then you have your followers or mine. And then, you know, what are you gaining from it? Like you're never going to get anywhere from blasting someone else constantly. You know, it's your, your actions, uh, or, or what's going to kind of rule the day or carry you through or what you're doing as a person. And I've really tried to not get into with too many guys every now and then I'll do call a dude an idiot or be like, dude, that is bad advice. I, I had a guy who we've become friends, but I was doing a live story and I was just talking about, I run a, a, a Sunto M9 on my, my right wrist. And then I, I have that Garmin 701. I, I nav pretty much off that uh, totally. Now I learned manually to land nav. And so I don't mess around with a GPS too much, but I suggested everybody have one. He got on there and said, uh, basically we're all horrible woodsmen. He's never needed a GPS. And this isn't an argument you want to get into me with because i i'm gonna hurt your feelings and i'm like okay slick so what happens when you get knocked unconscious and your buddy followed you there and you don't have a gps or a communication system because you're a manly man but now you're gonna fucking die because your buddy doesn't have the skill set you have how smart is that like okay and then i, I listed off 15 reasons and i said dude you're also applying this to where you are at I highly doubt you're going to backpack in seven miles on a trail, go three miles off trail, set up a brown shelter the size of a coffin, and find your way back to it every day without the help of a GPS or at least a handrail. If you put it on a creek, it's a little different or a catching feature. But it's like, man, don't be posting to sound manly because there's thousands or hundreds of people listening or hundreds of thousands to this. And that is bad advice. Now, it may make you sound cool to some people, but in the reality, you're going to get somebody fucked up from the advice that you're giving uh, to make yourself sound tough or cool. Because, yes, we didn't have, you know, back in the day, the mountain men didn't have GPSs or whatever, but uh, you, you don't carry a GPS, but you drive a Ford F-350 to work. Why aren't you taking a rickshaw? Technology is yeah. bad, right? Let's go back to the old days. It, it, and you get a lot of that online. And I just laugh at it now because it's good humor. But it is crazy some of the shit I see come across my plate. Yeah, I don't – yeah, I try not to get – I'll just turn my followers and my supporters on to those dudes. And usually it's handled because those guys – a lot of those guys would just go out and just like super professionally even educate those people who don't have good ideas. I mean, we – we just got into this big. There was this. There was this company, this technical company in Prescott, Arizona. This dude's a. Uh, he's like like a class A douchebag, man. I mean, he's a he's the stereotypical, like wears the catch me fuck me shirts, has the you know the Punisher skull, like he, he's just that guy, right? And he he's he's brazen, he's aggressive, he's he's like everything wrong about the two A community, you know? Yeah. Um, it has has no understanding of ballistics, but thinks he he does. And we and at the time we were business associates. Like we 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 tagged his business, talked about his business, and we did a post. Kevin Owens did a post from Brian Litz, who you know he wrote the book Applied Ballistics, but is well known in in 
at least in the sniper community and the long gun community in PRS, as being the subject matter expert in everything ballistics, internal, external, terminal. He's that guy. And he did a study where he did the statistical probability of uh, of six, five hit ratios at a thousand yards over 308. And 6.5 Creedmoor has double the hit probability over 308. And that it's science. It's not even, no, nobody went out and shot it. It's all based on the terminal uh, ballistics, based on bullet coefficient, based on muzzle velocity, based on, you know, the, 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 the knowns, barrel twist, barrel length. And it's proven. And this guy comes out and he goes, I've been shooting 308 and 308 is the best thing. And, and 6.5 Creedmoor isn't double the hit ratio. You guys are lying and putting out this bad information. I'm like, hey, I didn't reference Mike Glover and Kevin Owens. We didn't go out to a farm and shoot a couple paper targets and make this shit up. We just referenced Brian Litz, and who did a, a, a study for Special Operations Command to justify 6.5 over 308, which now every sniper is going to have a 6.5 over 308. And, and he couldn't accept that. And he was just like, that's not true. And, and, and then I texted him and actually had a conversation with him and then told him it's true. And then referenced Brian Litz, who he knew, and he just couldn't accept it because his, his fucking ego was wrapped up in a conversation because he's like, 308's better than 6.5. It's like, brother, it, it's science. You can't argue the science. Let, let's just have the conversation, keep an open mind, and stop investing emotions in a fucking caliber of a fucking a rifle round. And, and he couldn't handle it, man. And some people, they're, they're just dumb. I mean, some people just can't get over it, man. Well, and the thing that, uh, you know, talking about like the, the 30865 or you have the same thing in archery, probably just as bad or worse. Uh, it's like, Hey man, if that's your favorite caliber, rub some <laughs> funk on it. Yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Fire away. But yeah, you do you, but, it, you, man. but, and again, but when it comes to like a lot of it, you hear a lot of bro science, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, you say it enough, eventually some people are going to believe it, even though it, it may not be, you know, true. And, and again, you, you deal with this, even photography, right? I'm really big into photography and me dealing in that crowd, as you can imagine, is a little unique because I just don't have the mentality to deal with people really on the far left taking, you know, photos and maybe aren't doing quite what I'm doing, the abuse, the cameras going through, you name it. And I'll have a 112-pound dude basically just blast, I mean, evil, like blasting me. And I'm like, hey, bro, <laughs> I'm just trying to help, man. Like, I'm just letting people know that specific camera failed on me on a 10-day trip in British Columbia. It fogs up. I, I'm not saying your mom's a whore, and I'm not saying you, you know, I'm just telling people that one has had issues. And it's a guy that's never left his house, you know, to speak of maybe. To, and it is amazing. Well, Mike Tyson said it best. The internet is definitely allowed because you can't get, you know, whacked in the face. It's allowed people to become uh, very, very bold. And I've really, and like I said, in the last few years, I've taken a step back and been like, this is not affecting me. Don't let it bother me. It's not a big deal because initially, I, I'm not going to lie, it bothered me, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. I'm like super combative where now I'm like, no, keep talking, dude. You're making an ass of yourself all on your own. I don't even have to reply. You're doing it all on your own. And it sounds like you dealing with that even more than I am, which sucks, but it is what it is. People are people. So <laughs> I just, I don't, did you see the, 
I did a post on, I was in Hawaii and I was bored and I was actually uh, super exhausted, which is probably why I got crazy on the post. But I, I, uh, I did a post about um, American Ninja, the movie, the eighties movie and complete satire, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm completely making fun of the entire cultural appropriation and cancel culture of these losers who find like Dr. Seuss, they find they find anything they can. Abraham Lincoln, our history, our books, our media, and they want to cancel it. And so as an Asian American dude, I'm like, well, this is going to be funny. Let me let me show them how uh, let me make fun of this a little bit so I can get people going. And so I said, hey, I'm canceling American Ninja or American Ninja because I'm like, you know, I gave I even gave uh justifications. I said, hey, in, in the seven minutes that I've analyzed this circumstance, I've realized that they're culturally appropriating, completely making fun of it. I said, I said, jumping into cancel culture, I said, I am canceling the following American Ninja one, two, three, four, and five. I said, Michael Duduhoff, pronounced duty cough, <laughs> is a guy that, that gets the option of going to jail or to the army. Um, he goes to the Philippines as a private, supposedly getting his ninja certification at Fort Benning, which never happened, obviously. And then and then now it's at Bragg. He gets stationed in the Philippines, gets ambushed, saves the day and saves the colonel's daughter. Um, and then I said, here's my issue. I said, white dude, ninja. And then I put canceled. I put private plus badass canceled. Save colonel's daughter promoted, obviously fraternization canceled. Makes all Asian fighters look like extras on Big Trouble in Little China, canceled. And I said, after at least seven to 10 long minutes of reviewing this issue, identifying the supremacy that is taking the combination of words like American and Ninja, which is obviously cultural appropriation, I've canceled them all. You will no longer be receiving my support, and I recently pulled my subscription to Hulu and iTunes indefinitely until these are erased, which are free, by the way. Yeah. I said, we must end more... We must demand more as responsible Asian Americans with keeping ourselves relevant in a black and white conversation where the yellow isn't even in the color spectrum. I said, this is just the beginning. And I said, of note, I'm training in Hawaii, so I'm slightly biased because I'm empowered by so many Asians, might delete later. 690 comments of about half of which people literally thought I was serious about the whole damn conversation. Yeah, I, I did see that. And I was laughing just because of even as, uh, um, uh, you know, you and I are pretty close to the same age, uh, you know, watching that, you're like, you're dumber after seeing it, but it's funny watching it so you can make fun of it. So I knew you were joking because you were just talking about American Ninja Warrior because the whole movie's a joke. So I was like, oh, this is funny as shit. I, I, it was so bad I didn't read the comments because after like the first 15, I'm like, eh, I'm going to get irritated reading this and I'm not going to set myself up for that. Uh, I was amazed at that post. Um but it, it was funnier than hell. Uh, that do, do you have your cell phone by you? Yeah, yeah. Did you get that picture I sent you? Let's see, is it you sent me a dick pic or something? No, no, not yet. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the, yeah. So that guy. Uh, as we're making fun of things, so I do Q and A stories, right? Then you know, I, I answer I don't know thousands of questions. One of the questions was the durability of two different clothing companies, and I just said, "Hey, man, this." This clothing company is far more durable than this other one. Um, and that was it, pretty basic. And somebody reposted that. That little skinny kid hopped on this other guy's post and said um, something about I was a fag. And uh, 
I'm like, I, somebody tagged me in it making, you know, obviously one of my followers. And I just replied, dude, I'm, I'm gay in a question mark. I didn't know. And he replied and basically said, I was Insta famous and fake. And yep, you are a fag. Now you see the picture of that person. Oh, dude. It's oh epic. Right. Yeah. It's a, so, bedazzled, it's a bedazzled shirt with like, uh, you know, those, those stupid glasses with an Ariat flat build hat, which I don't think I've ever seen a flat build hat on a archery shooter. <laughs> and, and, and he's wearing skinny jeans, uh, with his, his back arched out and his butt flexed out. It looks, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, to me, I, I break these things down, you know, cause I, I'm just trying to get info out there to help people. And I'm like, okay, well nothing wrong being 20, 22 years old, but the, um, you know, the cup's not very full yet, right? You got a lot of years to, to and in my, in my cup's only half full, right? I'm only I'm midway through. I got as many days behind me as I got in front of me. I'm learning every day. But I've gotten to learn quite a bit. And I'm thinking, so at, at, at 22, you're, you're saying I'm 100% wrong hunting ducks in Oregon. I've gotten to hunt all over the world, right? I, I You know, I'm not saying this as a bragging thing. I'm saying this like, guys, I'm just trying to get some info out there to help people. But again... It's the internet. Do you really think that guy is going to say that to my face? Maybe he would. Maybe he's kicked my ass. I, I have no idea. But the way you handle it is amazing to me. Rather than just saying, man, I really, you know, I disagree with Mike or I disagree with Aaron. I, I actually prefer this clothing. And I'm like, oh, man, I get it, you know. And you have a normal, intelligent conversation as two grown-ass men. That is not what happens a lot in this day and age. And it's crazy because it's like, truthfully, Side by side, if you and I had a disagreement, if we were in person, because you're a grown-ass man and I am, we would have the same conversation face-to-face. Might get heated, might get not heated. We may become best friends, but if you handle it, handle it like an adult and you treat people with professionalism, things go a lot smoother than when you go the other direction Be because of what's going on, and maybe it happened 40 years ago and I just didn't see it, but the way social media is, it, it brings out some internet tough guys, pretty, pretty bad. And, and no one wins with that. I mean, I get some humor out of it, which is always good, but you don't get anything out of it. No, no, nothing is gained from it. The confrontational, I've had guys tell me, and this is like a, a, a science thing. I just learned recently in neurology there as a, as a man who has um, a voice, like a deep voice, you could actually put, you could put people into a sympathetic nervous state, like an actual fight or flight kind of state. You could elevate their cortisol. You could elevate their adrenaline by just talking to them with bass in your voice, being intent. And, you know, you learn that in the military because if you get your ass chewed in the military and the dude's ripping, your squad leader's ripping you apart, um, you just take it, but you're like, oh crap, man, this is like intimidating. You grew up with a father who's firm, who who's disciplined, and he's trying to instill that discipline in you. He's talking to you firmly. Well, we live in a society now where people don't understand conflict resolution where, dude, I've, I've been in like I've had people tell me that I was a bully and intimidating because I shook their hand too tight. Like they said, like like I like some dude told a guy and he said he got back to me. and He's like, yeah, he was like trying to squeeze my hand real tight. And one, I'm not a dick. So I'd never grab somebody's hand and squeeze it like a bully. But I'm assuming I firmly shook his hand looked him in the eye and said the greeting of the day. And, and in our society, that's being a bully. That's being um, toxic. That's being, um, you know, 
too masculine. And and what's funny is masculinity now for that guy who's like 98 pounds soaking wet is his masculinity is defined in the virtue signaling through his comments and his post. So if he can make people think that he's a tough guy um, as he sits in his mom's basement, then then he's getting the same feeling, but can't assimilate and adapt in real life. Because uh, like you said, two men face to face, shaking hands, having a conversation is impossible for people like that. They, they just won't do it. Like I've had guys that I've been in debates and I said, you know, this is actually a pretty good debate. I was like, I would invite you to my studio to do a podcast in person and they never take up, they, they never do it because they don't want the confrontation because they're intimidated, but they could obviously, you know, they could bully whoever they want in, in social media. It's insane. Yeah, it's different. And I hope, you know, people listening in on this, I don't want this to be looked at, you know, Mike and I as a bash fest. This is a way to treat people and handle things. And I'm a guy, if you throw a, a pebble, I'm going to throw a boulder. Like if, if you're going to, you know, if you, if you paid for the tickets, you're going to get to see the show because there is no need to throw pebbles or boulders or bricks, right? If, if you are like, Hey man, I, I think you're wrong about, I don't know, whatever the caliber the boots you're wearing, whatever. This is actually my experience. That is a good conversation. All right, man. What, what experience have you had? People learn from that, but you get on there and say that dude's a fucking idiot. Well, not learning a whole lot from there. And, and again, the, and, and I hate to say younger generation, Frank's younger and he's tough as shit. So not, not all, but the participation trophy thing, like all that stuff, I think it's part of it. And it, and it does, it kills me. Like, I, I don't, the only participation trophy I think should be handed out is most improved. That one's worthwhile, right? You, you worked your ass off, you got better, but man, I, I mean, you know, if you suck, you suck. And if you're good, you're good. And if you work hard at it, you work hard at it. And it was just that cut and dry. And that, that plain to me that if you put a l enough effort into something, you are going to get way more out of it. Whether then you put a little effort in and you find it's hard and you quit, it's just a slippery slope. And it's, it, it, I'm a little nervous with where the world's going today, I guess, I, is how I would sum that up, or the U.S. anyway. <laughs> yeah, 100%, man. We just need to be more accountable for each other, and that requires being honest, and some people just can't take that shit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, man, I've had you on over here, uh, over an hour here. Um, can you let everybody know where they can find you, what you guys offer, kind of just kind of a, a, a summary uh, where people can go? Because I, I highly recommend for people to utilize what Mike offers. Uh, they have um, a land nav thing Kevin's working on where you can sign up. It's super cheap, and you guys can stop pounding me for land nav info. You can learn it all from Kevin Owen um, or you guys in general. But, yeah, let everybody know. So I, I would say the start point for us is everything field craft survival. That's YouTube as a channel. That's uh, the podcast. That is um, Instagram. So what we try to do is as much free information as possible to make people understand like, hey, man, we're invested in this. You know, we, we it, there is obviously a marketing campaign that takes place. But if you just want to get a start point and listen to the podcast, listen or watch a video and get better kind of vectored into what preparedness can be about in your life. That's that's a good start point for us. We have training courses on fieldcraftsurvival.com. We we train all over the place, man. I mean, we'll have a land navigation course this weekend in Heber City. We do online training. We do a uh, virtual uh, seminar based training. We have seminars in person. 
Like I'm, ha- I'm Jack Carr is going to be in Heber City. He's an author of of these books, Savage Son, and his new book, Devil's Hand. He'll be uh, April 24th doing a book signing at our Heber City headquarters. And then tactical training, um, first aid training, overland training. It's all on fieldcraftsurvival.com. We, we got a lot going on, but um, a, a good start point is there. And then if you want to get equipment, you know, like, like I said before about subject matter experts, Kafaro has been doing this for, for, for decades. They are the subject matter expert at, at hunting equipment, especially packs. And that is where you go for the best one. I, I don't do that, but I will refer you to that. If you want to go to us for first aid kits, survival kits, we have all that stuff. We have lifestyle stuff, uh, a whole bunch of branding stuff. We're coming out with a new holster, a new mobility bag, a new loadout kit and bag for, for your vehicle. Uh, all that stuff is on all of our social media on Fieldcraft Survival. Gotcha. So, yeah, for, for, for people wrapping their head around all that, just go on the website and you can read all about it. It's all on there. Um, yeah. And, uh, again, man, I can't thank you for, yeah, obviously everything you've done for the, for the country, what you're doing now, obviously a big help to, uh, everyday, you know, day-to-day civilians. And, and, and obviously thanks again for coming on the, on the podcast, dude, I'm super big fan and I can't encourage enough people to, uh, head over to uh, what you guys offer. No, thanks Aaron, man. I mean, if people don't realize this or haven't realized this, they haven't been following us for a long time. We actually, Kafaro is the first company that we did any kind of uh, partnership with. And, 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 and we were a one man company. It was me, um, you know, my ex-girlfriend at the time who was packing boxes and that's it. And then Kafaro opened their doors to me and we did some marketing stuff. And then we're, we've evolved and we're to the point where, you know, Aaron's running stuff for Kafaro. I'm running stuff for Fieldcraft. And, and, and we're, we're back together and it, and it, and it feels good. It's kind of, it's kind of cool to come full circle. And I look forward to, uh, working with you guys in the future, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So, all right, man, I'll leave you alone, head out and uh, go to your busy day and I'll, I'll talk to you soon enough. Either way. Thanks again. All right, brother. Take See care. You.